Mayday! Mayday! Hey, it's International Workers' Day. Mike McEntee with you here. Uh, This marks the day in 1886 when more than 300,000 people walked off their jobs. And thanks to them and the unions, we had the eight-hour day, the 40-hour work week, and weekends. Let's all be thankful for that. Happy May Day. Uh, Only three weeks left in the legislative session. Governor Mark Dayton has one more to-do item he's adding to the list. We'll get into that a little bit later on the program. But first, the special election for Minnesota's U.S. Senate seat just got a little bit more contested yesterday when former Bush ethics lawyer and frequent Trump critic Richard Painter announced that he was running as a Democrat because the Republican Party has advocated its values. Richard Painter joins us now to talk about why he's running. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to have you on. Uh, on our Facebook page, we've had people asking a lot about what they'd like to ask you. I'll get to those questions in just a moment. But I, first, for those of you who didn't uh, catch your announcement yesterday, tell us what's motivating you to get into this race as a Democrat, uh, especially when you've been identified for Republican for so long. Well, the Republican Party is a complete disaster right now. I've disagreed with the direction the Republican Party has been going for a long time, but I wanted to hold on and try to persuade Republicans to get back to the uh, values the party had espoused uh, uh, with respect to uh, uh, prudence and uh, spending and um, sound management of government, um, uh, keeping government out of people's personal lives, uh, and um, campaign finance reform. That was originally uh, a cause of Teddy Roosevelt and even Barry Goldwater supported keeping corporate money out of politics and John McCain. Uh, environmental protection. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, was a great advocate of conservation, and Richard Nixon founded the Environmental Protection Agency. And we just seen an issue after issue. The Republican Party has strayed uh, from its roots over the past several decades. But the uh, situation with Donald Trump is intolerable. Uh, he wants to run this country as an autocrat. Um, he's made that very clear with his contempt for freedom of the press, contempt for freedom of religion. Uh, contempt for the judiciary, and uh, now his obstruction of justice in the Russia investigation. Uh, this is too much, and I think we're going uh, to see millions of people around the country uh, voting uh, Democratic in the fall, and that's going to include uh, a lot of people right here in Minnesota. And uh, so we ought to have a, um, uh, a contested primary in the uh, Democratic uh, uh, Farmer Labor Party uh, for the uh, Senate seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, vacated through the resignation of Al Franken, and uh, I've decided to enter that race. All right. It, it sounds like you're, I mean, when you enter a race, you're usually running against another opponent, but everything you've talked about so far has been about Donald Trump. Are you running against Tina Smith, or are you running against Donald Trump here? Well, uh, you're always going to have opponents, one or more opponents in a primary. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the way primaries are supposed to be, and that doesn't mean that uh, you need to uh, tear down the opponent uh, and uh, uh, describe the opponent in the worst possible terms, and and I'm not going to do that. I I don't think that's the point of a primary. The point of the primary is to choose the best contender to go forth into the general election. Uh, The Republicans will almost certainly uh, choose Karen Housley, um, state senator, uh, to run for this seat, and uh, the difficulty I have with uh, Senator Housley is that she is uh, backing President Trump 100 percent on just about everything he wants to do. Uh, so while I, ha- while I have differences with Senator Smith, and I will speak about those, my strongest differences uh, are with President Trump, uh, the administration, and those in Congress who are the collaborators, both in the United States House and the Senate, and that includes several uh, members of the Minnesota delegation to the United States House of Representatives. Uh, who go along with what's uh, what's happening to our country, and it's intolerable. Now, yesterday you stated your positions on a number of issues. Let me just tick them off for people who missed it. You're pro-choice on abortion. You support reasonable gun regulations. You wish we had single-payer health care. You're against copper-nickel mining in northern Minnesota because of the threat it poses to the environment. Did he get all those right, and are there other issues we should be uh, talking about? Well, uh, uh Let's start with the health care. We could all wish for single-payer health care. I, I certainly think if I had to, to design a, oh, the whole system over again, uh, you know, single-payer would be the most efficient. would certainly save a lot of money for small businesses that are really getting hurt. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, get squeezed out of business because they can't afford to pay for health insurance for their employees. 
Uh, so our current system is a mess. It's a very, very expensive. Single player would be a lot more efficient. But getting from here to there is a practical question. We need to make our first priority having 100% of Americans insured. Uh, and uh, that may mean insurance through a variety of different uh, payors, uh, including uh, Medicare, and we may want to expand Medicare for everybody who cannot find other insurance. Uh, eventually, I think we're going to end up with single-payer because that's the most efficient system, and it would let the employers uh, focus on compensating employees with wages and uh, use another mechanism for paying for insurance. But we need to get from here to there, and we need to have the most practical way of doing it. And the number one priority is making sure every single American has health insurance, regardless of who the payor is. Now, as you might understand, some people are skeptical about you being a Democrat after being a Republican for so long. Uh, But yesterday you did talk about how you differed from your employer, President George W. Bush, on a number of issues such as campaign finance reform, bank regulation, you didn't join the Bush administration until after the Iraq invasion, but you opposed it because it was done on faulty intelligence. One of our listeners wanted to know if you opposed torture during your years in the White House and if you voiced that opinion to President Bush. Well, I've given the speeches on this. I was never asked about it, uh, but when I took the job, I, I made very clear my views on the uh, positions that had already been publicly disclosed. Um, they've been taken by the Justice Department on the torture um, uh, memos that were prepared by Justice Department lawyers justifying uh, acts of torture, waterboarding and other acts of torture, and I made very clear of my strong opposition to that. Uh, it was also not within my job description, so they were willing to hire me anyway. And it was understood I was not, uh, as the uh, ethics lawyer, I focused on financial conflicts of interest inside the White House. Um, I was not able to get into those issues, um, and a lot of those issues required security clearance, plus they're being willing to ask me uh, those questions, and they were not willing to ask me those questions. They knew what the answer was. Uh, but I will emphasize that a lot of people in the Bush administration strongly opposed what the Justice Department was doing there. Unfortunately, too many higher-ups in the White House did not, and uh, uh, the Justice Department recommendations, when they were implemented by the CIA and the Department of Defense, uh, were really quite tragic uh, for our country and our uh, reputation around the world. We're speaking with Richard Painter. He's running as a Democrat for the U.S. Senate seat here in uh, Minnesota. Jeremy uh, posted on our Facebook page, he says, where does... Richard Painter disagree with Tina Smith on policy. Does he still prefer old school GOP policies? What's your your response to that? Well, it's uh, uh, difficult to use these labels. What is old school GOP policy? Um, we talk about the old school GOP policy of Teddy Roosevelt of environmental conservation. Uh, I don't think that's a, a part of the issue. It shouldn't be. We should mm-hmm. be committed to preserving. Um, our natural resources. And I say even President Nixon supported that. The uh, GOP recently has moved away over the past several decades from environmental protection. Um, and that's critically important uh, that we be committed to protect the environment. Uh, where I disagree with Senator Smith is over copper nickel mining. I think that's very risky. Uh, and in particular, the polymet mine uh, that's being proposed. Uh, that's going to be uh, owned by a foreign multinational corporation called Glencore that really controls an awful lot of what goes on in Parliament. And Glencore, in turn, has behind it uh, billionaires. Nat Rothschild is a London billionaire who's in the uh, mining business, had some disasters over in Indonesia uh, with coal mining, environmental disasters, and then hired, uh, brought in a man named Tony Hayward, uh, who came out of British Petroleum was responsible for the uh, Deepwater Horizon fiasco, and then he was brought in as the chairman of uh, Glencore, this company that stands behind Polymet. And then they've got some Russian oligarchs thrown in there as well. I've been putting out tweets on it. I'm very unhappy with the character of the men. They're all men, of course, behind this operation, uh, Glencore. Uh, the environmental groups that uh, have the expertise on uh, the environmental impact have a lot more to say about what could happen if copper nickel mining goes wrong and uh, what's very likely to happen to our waterways um, and the uh, uh, watershed uh, beginning to Duluth and into Lake Superior. I, I'm very worried about that. 
Unfortunately, uh, uh, Senator Smith and uh, Senator Klobuchar, I believe, although Senator Smith took the lead in trying to get through Congress a land swap uh, where uh, the company would get some federal land uh, where they want to do this mining in return for company land. And they're doing that to uh, avoid the environmental regulations that apply to federal land. That land swap should never go through should not have been endorsed by either of our senators and should not be supported by the Dayton administration. Uh, so, um, you know, we can throw around all the labels we want about whether something's old-school GOP or, or old-school Democrat or new or whatever, but we got to focus on the fundamental issues um, and environmental conservation, uh, protection of our natural resources should be a bipartisan issue. And that, that, uh, that is an area where I, I do feel that the uh, leadership of the Democratic Farmer uh, Labor Party in Minnesota has fallen short, um, and we need to focus on that. Not that the Republicans are doing any better. They're even worse. Now, a lot of our listeners are concerned that they just want to see a Democrat win this seat. And uh, Paul asks here, why do you think you're more likely to win the election than Tina Smith? Well, um, I think Minnesotans want somebody who's going to stand firm against President Trump. And uh, they're certainly going to prefer uh, any Democrat in that seat um, to having Karen Housley, who has made it very clear she's just going to go along with whatever President Trump wants. Uh, I have been very um, assertive about President Trump's abuse of power, his uh, disrespect for the First Amendment, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, his foreign government payments. I've sued President Trump. Uh, I've assisted the uh, Attorney General of the State of Maryland in another suit that survived the motion to dismiss. Um, I've been engaged with the, uh, with the issues here dealing with uh, the Trump administration. Uh, I think I have a lot to offer here, uh, and uh, I think I can beat uh, Karen Housley quite, quite handily. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I think Senator Smith can make her own case uh, as to what she could do uh, to beat uh, Karen Housley, but it's going to be critically important to stand for fundamental principles um, of democracy, of prudence in government, and, uh, um, and and focus on the issues, including environmental conservation, uh, important barrel spending. Uh, I did oppose what the administration did and uh, Tina Smith as well with the Viking Stadium. I mean, I, I think that we need to get government back to spending money on schools, on uh, family assistance, um, health care, roads, bridges, uh, fundamental services for the public, and not be getting into uh, deals with billionaire sports uh, uh, team owners. And these so-called public-private partnerships where the private uh, sector guys usually end up making off with all the cash. So there's some differences there um, between myself and Senator Smith, but I I will say that uh, much stronger differences uh, between myself and uh, just about anyone they could run on the Republican ticket, because they will not tolerate anyone on the Republican ticket who doesn't 100 percent support Donald Trump. Now, I know you have to run just one last quick question. Uh, yesterday, listening to you, I got the feeling that you were running not only because you wanted to, but you thought that doing so would make Tina Smith maybe a better candidate because you wanted to debate her. Have you heard anything back from the Smith campaign about debates? Uh, no, I have not heard anything uh, back from uh, Senator Smith's campaign. Um, I, I, you know, I believe I'll win this uh, primary, but uh, a primary is a good thing, uh, and we need to get away from this idea that uh, we have endorsements at the party convention, and then everyone's supposed to abide by the endorsement, which means the voters don't get a say in the primary, uh, which is uh, conveniently put in the middle of August uh, uh, when some people are on vacation. Uh, you know, we ought to focus on the primary. That's where the main decision is made by the voters, by the people. Uh, and uh, having a debate, series of debates uh, with Senator Smith, uh, talking through the issues, handling a primary in a dignified manner, not, not this uh, nonsense where people spend a lot of money uh, running attack ads, but debating real issues. Put the debate up on, the, on YouTube or somewhere where uh, people can watch the debate. Uh, and uh, then choose a candidate uh, in the primary. If we go through that process, there's going to be a much stronger candidate with much stronger public support um, uh, behind that candidate. Whoever wins, I believe I'll win, but whoever wins will be much stronger. So uh, the notion that this primary is somehow going to hurt the Democratic 
uh, Farmer Labor Party is, is ridiculous. Uh, it's going to make things better. It's going to make things more democratic. And that's what our system is supposed to be all about, as opposed to what's going on over in the GOP side. Uh, they've made it very clear, if you're not 100% loyal to Donald Trump, you're not running for federal office anywhere in the United States. Two United States senators have been basically pushed out, Senator Corker, Senator Flake, um, because they wouldn't support the president. That's autocracy. And uh, we've got to oppose that. And uh, we're going to have a primary. It's going to be conducted in a dignified, democratic fashion. And there'll be a candidate. Um, I believe I'll win, but whoever the candidate is, uh, that candidate's going to go on to the United States Senate. All right. We've been speaking with Richard Painter. He's a candidate under the Democratic banner here in Minnesota for the U.S. Senate seat. Uh, Mr. Painter, thank you so much for joining us. And if there is a debate, uh, theuptake.org would be happy to put it up on the Internet. We do that type of stuff. That would be wonderful. Thank you. All right. And, folks, I just want to tell you that uh, we've also invited Senator Tina Smith to be on the show, and we are trying to set up a date and time for that. If you have any thoughts on the conversation we just had with Richard Painter, the phone lines are open, 952-946-6205. We'll take your phone calls here after the break. It's the Mike McEntee Show on AM 950. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. As a family-owned business, Standard Heating and Air Conditioning has been serving the Twin Cities since 1930. A new furnace or air conditioner from Standard Heating and Air can lower your monthly utility bills, administer more consistent temperatures, and even improve indoor air quality, making your home safer and healthier for the whole family. The average heating and cooling system lasts 15 to 20 years. So if yours is on its last legs, call Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. Learn more at standardheatingdeals.com. Standard heating and air conditioning, the comfort you deserve. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show here on AM 950. We are just talking with Richard Painter. He is a former Republican who is running as a Democrat in Minnesota for the U.S. Senate seat. We've been asking you for your thoughts on the conversation we had and a former Republican running as a Democrat. What do you think about that? 952-946-6205. We had some comments on our Facebook page we want to pass along on this topic. Joe wrote, he is not a DFL candidate. He is a lifelong Republican that is slapping his name on the ballot and calling himself a Democrat. Lipstick on a pig situation all over again. And Paula writes, Bernie Sanders was an independent and ran as a Democrat. Didn't have a problem with that. So what do you think? 952-946-6205. Gary's on the line. I'm not sure if that's what he wanted to talk about, but uh, Gary, welcome to the program. Yeah, I I was raised at New Deal, you know, a Roosevelt Democrat. You know, Humphrey was that way, and... A lot of them back in those days before Reagan started this all-out class warfare. And one of the big ways they transferred the wealth to a few hands at the top was when Reagan lowered the tax rates from over 70% to uh, 
28%, yeah, all the way down there. A huge transfer from the what was the middle class at the time and the poor up to the rich, and then they taxed the rest of us as local taxes and state taxes and fees. Anyway, this has been going on with these Republicans ever since. And I heard Elizabeth Warren and Keith Ellis and some of the progressives that want to go back to the New Deal politics. And even uh, Bernie Sanders, they asked him in the debate, uh, how much are you going to tax the rich or the bosses? And he said, not as high as Ike, but still 90% when Ike was in when Roosevelt put it there. And that's why they call him the outcast of the wealthy, because he was one of them, and they couldn't stand him because he taxed the hell out of them. And also, we got to rebuild the unions and get the wages higher for working people. And maybe you can explain Keynesian economics, what we had back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where the money circulated instead of hoarded by a few in, uh, banks overseas and the Cayman Islands. I, I agree with you on most of those points there, uh, Gary. And any thoughts there on Richard Painter that we just had on? Uh, I mean, a Republican. Yeah, well, he might be okay, but he was with Reagan, I suppose. If he was a Republican, maybe it was different policies, maybe foreign policy he was into. But, but uh, you know, there's Republicans that come over to the Democrats that turn out to be good, like Judy Dutcher, and there's other a lot of former Democrats. They left, and Southern Democrats particularly left our party because of that racial stuff. So. They're never much good anyways, them Southerners. So. Okay. Well, hey, Gary, thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. 952-946-6205. We're talking here kind of in general about Republicans deciding to run as Democrats. I guess if the Republican Party has moved so far right for some people, maybe that's the only place left to go. Um, you know, if it, you could run as an independent or an independence party candidate here in Minnesota, but as Richard Painter said when he made his announcement the other day, if he did that, all he'd do is be a spoiler. And that would throw the election to, he thought, Karen Housley, the Republican. So what's your thoughts on this? We have more people commenting on our Facebook page here. Uh, Patricia writes, why doesn't he, uh, Richard Painter, run as a Republican? Too many have infiltrated the Democratic Party and twisted the core values. And Tim writes, if this guy is as radically anti-Trump as he claims, he might be preferable to the current Republican light office holder. 952-946-6205 is the number. Jennifer from Stillwater is on the line. Hi, Jennifer. How are you today? Um, okay. I called in the last hour and already said this, but I'm going to say it again. Go Mr. ahead. Painter has never been in the Reagan administration. He's never been in government at all except for two years. From 2005 to 2007, he was the internal White House ethics attorney. That's it. The rest of his, go to Wikipedia and look him up. He was a law professor his whole career, except when he was working for law firms. That's it. He's never been in government except for two years. So stop saying he was in the Reagan administration. Okay, also, I didn't, okay. Um, the, the, the callers keep calling in and saying right, that. Right, right. Um, also, the DFL has in its platform, it's supposed to be protecting the environment, but all of the voters are not paying attention to what Tina Smith and Klobuchar and Tim Waltz are doing. Tim Waltz is the co-sponsor of H.R. 3115, which is the land swap bill, where he worked with Tom Emmer and Jason Lewis to give away 6,700 acres of Teddy Roosevelt's Superior National Forest. Okay, to Polymet Glencore. Uh, Professor Richard Painter nailed it. He nailed it. Uh, it's, it's just atrocious. Tim Waltz did that, along with Rick Nolan. Okay, there's your DFL. And Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith are for Polymet. And therefore, Twin Metals as well. But they are for Polymet. And they are not following the platform of the DFL, which is environmental. And most of this is happening because most DFL voters don't realize it. Nobody talks about it. And also, you know, Howling for Wolves is a group that is trying to protect the wolves from trapping, hunting, snaring in this state. And one of the reasons they're trying to always delist the wolves and the Canada lynx is because they live in the Superior National Forest. And you can't put a mine on top of an endangered species. So they've got a redefine it as not endangered anymore, and then, boom, you can have your mind. Okay. So, hey, Jen uh, Jennifer, I, I just wanted... more DFL than the current DFL, except excluding Betty McCollum, who's awesome, and Keith Ellison, who is awesome. 
I want to take you back to your original point, just so everybody's on the same page. Uh, Gary just called in to say that he was that uh, Painter. He never said that Painter was in the Reagan administration. He just said that he was a supporter. I don't know if that's true or not, but Gary just wanted to clarify that uh, in case people were questioning. And and to your point about uh, about the stances, I think you are correct. Uh, A lot of the stances that uh, uh, Richard Painter uh, laid out yesterday were right down the line on where the DFL party platform is, uh, which is um, which is interesting because, as you say, some of the candidates do shy away from that, or at least uh, they're actively sponsoring these bills to put in Polymet and Twin Metals. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's definitely a disconnect between what is written in the platform. And I think there's always ha- always has been. But I think it's very, very uh, stark in this particular case. Um, oh, and one more thing I just issue. want to say, that's why they're uh, getting rid of the wild rice bill, as it's called. They like to call it that to make it sound benign. The wild mm-hmm. rice bill uh, in the uh, Minnesota the House w- and Senate. Water quality passed. standard. Yeah. Yeah, it's the water quality standard. And the reason that they're suddenly getting rid of that is because... You, they have to get rid of it to put in the polymet mine and the twin metals mine so that they can go ahead and put the mercury, arsenic, lead, cadmium, and sulfuric acid sulfides into the water up there. That's why they're doing this wild rice bill, which they have now passed in both the Minnesota House and the Minnesota Senate. Um, yep. Aaron Murphy yep. didn't even bother to vote, by the way. She skipped out on the vote. Um, so people need to call yep. Governor Dayton and plead with him to... Uh, veto the Senate and House bill that is repealing the water quality standards uh, for our state, that wild rice bill, Um, because it's also racist against the Native Americans up there, by the way, because their religion, their culture, uh, all of that is wrapped up in, you know, and their clean water in, in Mother Earth. And no one's respecting what they keep saying that they don't want that that mine up there. Yeah, and I think uh, the the Republicans and and some Democrats were saying that one of the or at least the Republicans were making this point that the reason that bill was needed was that uh, well the uh, local water treatment plants would be too expensive for them to filter this stuff out. It was brought up to them right away, saying, "Hey, there's going to be granted variances so that they don't have to do this." What the real you know real target of this bill are the large polluters like the mines you just mentioned those mining interests would have to do the filtering and that is very cost prohibitive for him for them which is why they don't want that standard in there and yes it is proven science just, uh, despite the republicans saying over and over again that this is old science well it's still good science and as uh, john marty said during the debate the other day just because you disagree with something doesn't make it bad science it's science, and, set, and we've got to start paying attention to the facts. Jennifer, I appreciate your phone call very much today. Thank you. Um, let's see here. What do we got next? Well, it's actually, we're due for a break here. So we're going to take a break here right now. And when we get back, uh, we're going to take up the opioid crisis. We're going to talk about what should be done about it. And uh, we'll be talking to a local expert, uh, Dr. Nori Thomas, who also happens to be a candidate for the legislature. That's all next year on The Mike McEntee Show. Hi, I'm Damian Strange, Executive Director of Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association, NEMA, and I'm personally inviting you to Arterworld May 18th through the 20th. View artwork of over 650 artists in every medium at more than 50 locations throughout Northeast Minneapolis, including studio buildings, art galleries, homes, storefronts, and local businesses. The Artist Open Studio Tour may include demonstrations, mini workshops, installations, and special exhibitions. Studio tours offer a great opportunity to ask questions, discuss techniques, experience art firsthand, and purchase unique artwork directly from artists. Art World gives you a unique opportunity to meet the artists who make our community so vibrant and invest in our art community by purchasing artwork that you connect with. For more information, go to nema.org. That's nema.org. Looking forward to seeing you at Arterworld. Hello, AM950 listeners. I am Tabitha Montgomery, Executive Director at Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association, where we believe in connecting, informing, inspiring, and advocating for community. 
one of the ways that we are doing that is with our first annual Potterhorn Shark Tank Small Business and Big Ideas Competition for local makers, hustlers, and entrepreneurs throughout Minneapolis. Don't miss your chance to submit your application online at ppna.org backslash Potterhorn Shark Tank. Again, that's ppna.org backslash Powderhorn Shark Tank. Applications will close at 12 a.m. on March 11th. Don't miss your chance. And be sure to mark your calendars for the actual Powderhorn Shark Tank event on Saturday, May 19th from 2.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Powderhorn Park Recreation Center. See you there. Welcome back to the Mike McEntee Show here on AM 950. What do you do about the opioid crisis? We've lost Prince. We've had just tales and tales and tales of lots of people who are succumbing to uh, taking these type of drugs and being hooked on them. Uh, joining us to talk about that now is uh, Nori Thomas. She earned her Ph.D. in pharmacy administration, worked in the health insurance industry, and started one of the first pharmacy benefits management organizations. She also happens to be a candidate for the Minnesota House in 33A. That's uh, the Wyzetta Minatrista area. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. <laughs> good to have you on. Um, you know, I, everybody's been talking about this. It's gotten a lot of press in the last uh, couple of years, but this is something that just kind of snuck up on us, but it's been out there for quite some time, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, you know, it's been a growing problem in the United States, and uh, much interest has been focused on it. I am really pleased to see that the Minnesota legislature has really taken this as a top issue, and uh, they are putting forward a, a number of um, proposals. If you look at all of the states, it's uh, whether you're a Republican state or a Democratic state, you are trying to find solutions to this epidemic, and it's reached uh, a trigger point. It's, and the point is that uh, we've had enough. Uh, we've put a burden on all of our county services and um you know, government services, and it's time to put together some solutions. So I do think something will happen, and uh, we can look to Minnesota or some of the other states to really give us um, a good way forward. Now, some have been looking at this and saying this was really a problem that the pharmaceutical industry created uh, by introducing opioids, not giving uh, you know enough information to nurses and doctors uh, about the possible uh, addictive qualities, you know, whining and dining nurses and doctors yeah. to, to get them to use yes. these things. Should the pharmaceutical industry be the one to solve this, or does this need to be a political solution? Oh, no. I think the pharmaceutical industry has to step to the plate. They've clearly made some egregious, um, I don't know if they're errors, but just marketing strategies and just uh, not holding um, really the truth to what the side effects are that their pharmaceutical agents are, are creating. So I do think they need to share the burden. Uh, clearly, the whole healthcare system needs to share part of the burden, too, because we, as as individuals go to a doctor and expect to get a prescription. So it is multifaceted, but uh, clearly the pharmaceutical industry has to step to the plate. And I, I think that can only be done with legislative action. Yeah, that's, However, that's kind of where I was going. You know, you yeah. look, I'm sorry, what? I'm saying that's kind of where I'm going on this thing here. Yeah. I, I, I was heading to that legislation we have here that's pending in the legislature, the Penny Appeal fee or tax on prescription painkillers mm -hmm. to help pay for uh, treating people get hooked on opioids. I, I you know, the, the drug industry has been pushing back on this, saying that we don't need this, that uh, there are other ways to pay for this. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, there, there aren't. I mean, this is a good idea. Uh, there might be some better ones out there. But it's a way forward. And when you look at the pharmaceutical industry, they are paying rebate fees to every hospital, to every pharm uh, pharmacy-managed care organization, to all of the insurance agents, uh, agencies, and so forth. And so this is really a rebate that would go to the state in order to offset the expenses that we bear because we have to ultimately put services in place to treat these people and to try to prevent future um, deaths. 
So, yes, I think the penny a pill makes sense. Um, I think it's more of a rebate than a, a fee. And mm-hmm. if you look to the FDA, in 2007, the FDA passed something, a, a bill that's called Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategy, REMS. And it was for new drugs. And when new drugs came to the market and when they had a safety concern, when they had side effects and patients needed to be monitored and interventions needed to be put in place to um, treat patients who, who suffered from a side effect, REMS was, was, was put in place. It worked. It's another way of saying that when you bring a product to market, you are accountable. You have every drug, you know, I learned this first day in pharmacy school, is every drug is a poison. It has mm-hmm. benefits. It has consequences. And there are times when we need medications to be brought to market because of a specific disease, but there are always side effects. And in REMS, what the FDA is saying is that you need to be accountable for establishing monitoring and evaluation and treatment programs when side effects occur. Being coming addicted to an opioid is a side effect, and the pharmaceutical industry was not forthcoming uh, in terms of the consequences of this side effect, and now as a society, we have to pay for it. So I do think they need to come to the, to the plate with solutions. Now, you look at... Uh, J&J, you remember the Tylenol scare. I can't remember what date that was. but That was quite a while ago, yes. Quite a while ago, but someone tampered with Tylenol. Um, It was not the fault of uh, Mm J&J. But J&J came forward, brought solutions, and took the whole industry, took the whole pharmaceutical industry to a different level that said, yes, we will be accountable, and we will make things better. And I think that's what all this legislation is trying to do. In every state, it's saying, come to the table, help us find solutions. Now, that you said that leadership came from the pharmaceutical industry itself. It did. We haven't, it we did. haven't seen that, though. Yeah. This, we haven't seen that this time Day around. What's, what's changed since the, uh, the, I think that was the early 80s when we had the Tylenol scare? What's changed from yeah. there until now that uh, the pharmaceutical you know, industry isn't stepping up to the plate? <laughs> So much has changed. I mean, obviously, greed, corporate greed. And, you know, I've worked for pharmaceutical industry, and I've certainly benefited from some of the new medications and so forth. But there comes a time when an industry has to come together. And right now, if you look at the pharmaceutical industry, it's like an arms race. If one of them comes forward and puts together a program to help solve this problem, uh, the rest are not going to come unless they're forced to. So that's why you need legislation. Uh, you need government to say, let's, let's, let's bring you guys all together. Let's come up with a solution and let's make it happen because people are suffering. Families, children. It, 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 it has to stop. And we all need to do this together. I think the penny a pill proposal is the first step to bringing all of these people together to say, let's find a solution. And unfortunately, they're not going to do it. The pharmaceutical industry is not going to come to the plate until legislation forces them to. We're speaking with Nori Thomas. She's got a PhD in pharmacy administration. Should I be directing at calling you doctor? Uh, I always get that yes. messed up with the yes. honorific. Okay, Dr. Nori Thomas. We were speaking with Dr. Nori Thomas about this. And she's also a candidate for the House in uh, District 33A. And I want to just quickly, since I got you on the phone, talk, touch, touch on that. You're running. This is your... You're you're not the incumbent. You're running uh, as the the you know the, the challenger in this particular yes. race. What got you interested in running for the legislature? Well, I'm retired, uh, retired pharmacy executive. I still teach at the University of Minnesota and the College of Pharmacy, so I am dedicated, uh, you know, to to my profession. But I've retired, and I, I did run for the House of Representatives in 2016 and lost, but. Um, Basically, the day after the election last year, this groundswell of um, grassroots people who were willing to help and willing to make a difference, it it basically happened the next day. And now I have a team, uh, an immense team of about 
170 women from the southwestern suburbs who never paid attention to local politics and got the wake-up call. And with their enthusiasm and with their energy and with them, you know, at my side, it just, it was, I just had to run again. And also, healthcare is the number one issue across the country in Minnesota. Healthcare is the number one issue and I can bring results. I can bring ideas. I can bring people together. I know how the system works and I want to serve. I want to be a public servant. I was talking with Aaron Murphy, and I said, all right, when I'm elected, I want to get on the health care committees, but I'll be a junior. So how do you get on a committee? She said, Nori, the health care committee is the most complex. No one wants to be on it. <laughs> and if you want to be on it, I'm sure your voice will be heard. But there are ways to bring these solutions to Minnesota. The federal government is not going to take action anytime soon. They just can't seem to work together. But we can look to the states to come up with innovative, creative solutions that can bring relief to the people of Minnesota. And that's what I want to do. And I'm excited to do it. So, well, what if you, you were in there? If you were in there right now, what would be one of those creative, innovative solutions that you'd want to put your weight behind and make happen? Is there something out there already? Do you got some ideas of your own? Oh, sure. I mean, the penny of pill, I assume, is not going forward. Not um, yet. I think the lobbyists have uh, scared some of the legislators that it can't be done. And I would be in there shouting from wherever you shout from, saying, I know it can be done. I know how to do it. We're going to move this forward. And yes, there are a lot of naysayers, but you're going to come to this committee and you're going to make it happen. And we're going to move this legislation forward. I would certainly be also in support of expanding Minnesota care and allowing Minnesotans to buy in and have some sort of an option um, for their health care services. So there's a lot that I would do. Drug prices. There's lots of different strategies that I could um, begin to percolate and move forward. Because one of the main issues with drug prices is that government programs like Medicaid cannot negotiate directly with the pharmaceutical industry. Well, I want to change that. I want Minnesota to be able, for all of its programs, to negotiate directly with the pharmaceutical industry to negotiate better prices. What the insurance industry does, I want an even playing field. The cost of these pharmaceuticals can be negotiated, can be managed in a different way. That brings relief to Minnesota taxpayers. So those are the things that I would focus on, and I would just, um, the opportunity would be an honor to serve Minnesota. I, I got to ask you about another issue because I know this is in your platform, uh, and this was brought up today by Governor Mark Dayton. We are facing, uh, we being many of the school districts here in the metro area and some outstate uh, districts, are facing a shortfall of about $108 million. They're looking at uh, laying off teachers and staff members. And Governor Dayton today said that what we need to do is act right now, dedicate about $137 million in state funding as emergency aid to school districts. And he said that's because even though he's been doing a lot in his last eight years, the school districts were, you know, basically in a hole from the Pelenti administration and are still climbing their way out. Do you agree with his logic on that? And do you agree with the solution? Well, first of all, there isn't any job that's more important for a legislature than public education. I mean, that's the reason the state legislation is there. It's to support, enhance, build public education. It is a cornerstone of American democracy. And it's as important as armed services, and uh, it's important to protect, you know, the whole country and to protect Minnesota. I believe that the stress on the public schools is unbearable. They're doing their best. Um, I've been in a lot of debates with some of the schools out here in, in, um, in my district, and when I brought up the fact that, you know, are there more cuts that the, the schools could do, uh, you know, the pushback was pretty tremendous. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I wonder if they're if they're right. So two years ago, I became a literacy volunteer at one of our elementary schools, and um, they they're not they're doing their best. the The level of uh, teacher uh, workload that's there, um, the students that need our assistance, it, it's all true, and it needs to be something that we support. So I would support Governor Dayton in terms of we've got to find the money to build public education. It's too important. I was listening to the mayor of Minneapolis today. I think he said there are 70,000 jobs in Minnesota that are not filled. We've got the jobs. We, we have to train our students to be prepared to enter the job market for the future economy of this state. I'm very active with Medical Alley and the biotechnology industry. Their predictions, in the next 10 years, there will be 170,000 jobs in the biotech industry in Minnesota. Those jobs need to be filled with our students who have been prepared. And you can sit here and say that, well, it's public education is such a drain, the taxes are so high. There is nothing more important than educating our children, and once they're educated, for them to be contributing to the economy of this state. So I long-winded. I don't know what the specifics are in terms of finding the money for these schools. I would certainly be in favor of trying to find that money for them. Okay. I wanted to bring us back very quickly to where we started, which was the opioid crisis, because we had a caller who wanted to know, uh, said, what about legal marijuana for solving the opioid crisis, using that more as a painkiller? Any thoughts on that? Because uh, we we get into all sorts of arguments about marijuana, recreational use when that's brought up, but what's your thoughts? Yes. You know, marijuana is a drug, and it needs to be respected as one. And so from my pharmacy perspective, uh, we need to make sure that if it is being manufactured, that we apply the same sorts of manufacturing principles that we do with all drugs. Uh, I'm still gathering information on what my opinion would be with uh, legalizing marijuana. I certainly believe that the penalties for use of marijuana need to be diminished, and I think we need to take a hard look at how would this drug actually be used in this, in this state for patient care, but also for, uh, you know, recreational use. So I'm not sort of hedging here. It's just I haven't really formed my full opinion yet because I'm still gathering information. All right. We've been speaking with Dr. Nori Thomas. She is running for the Minnesota legislature in District 33A. That's uh, YZ, Minatrista, out there that direction. And you can find out more about her at uh, norithomas.com. Thank you so much for joining Thank us you. today. Thank you. We're it was gonna, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Great, great to have you on. We're going to take a break here real quick. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Uh, more phone calls, 952-946-6205. It's the Mike McEntee Show on AM 950. I'm so good. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. 
Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens is the first green cemetery in Minnesota. It's a beautiful, peaceful place where burials are celebrations of life with as little impact on the environment as possible. Tony Weber founded it because he wants to leave a green legacy for his grandchildren, something many of us might feel. Learn more, visit the website mngreengraves.com. Give them a call. The goal is so meaningful, so positive, it might be right for you. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-priced bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy Center event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list, and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates available, located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking, or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Hey, it's Mike McIntyre back here on AM 950. Uh, Governor Dayton, Republicans mixing it up in the legislature. Governor Dayton is taking issue with the Republicans saying that his tax proposal would raise taxes on every Minnesotan, while GOP proposals would cut taxes for almost everybody. He says that's wrong. Uh, my my PG-rated version is bull feathers, which uh, President Theodore Roosevelt used uh, as a substitute for something I got bleeped. Yeah, he says it's all about the 2018 election. The tax bill is needed because federal tax rates have changed so much. However, it's conceivable it could wait till next year. On the line waiting is Mark. He's been wanting to talk to us about opioids. Hey, Mark, you got about a minute. Go ahead. Well, the whole thing, Mike, uh, I want to solve the problem where the money, where we can find the money. And it has everything to do with what we see on television right now and what happened yesterday. The average American citizen, fiscal 2017, spent $3,456 of their tax burden given to the War Incorporated Defense Department, while we gave $80 for social welfare programs. Um, That's where you find the money. Now, also, with respect to the opioid crisis, We entered 2014. Afghanistan is now producing two times the opium it did in 2000. Afghanistan is producing twice the opium, heroin, drugs than it did in 2000 since we went over there. So think about that for a second and how that's happening. In 2015, Afghanistan increased their opium production by 90%. And we've been over there exactly for how long? And if anybody... With respect to this $3,456, if anybody out there believes what Netanyahu said and is ordering the American people to get behind his war with Iran, you haven't seen anything yet. People, And we have to go, Mark. Hey, I appreciate the phone call. We'll be back tomorrow. Hello, AM950 listeners. I am Tabitha Montgomery, Executive Director at Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association, where we believe in connecting, informing, inspiring, and advocating for community. One of the ways that we are doing that is with our first annual Potterhorn Shark Tank Small Business and Big Ideas Competition for local makers, hustlers, and entrepreneurs throughout Minneapolis. Don't miss your chance to submit your application online at ppna.org backslash Potterhorn Shark Tank. Again, that's ppna.org backslash Powderhorn Shark Tank. Applications will close at 12 a.m. on March 11th. Don't miss your chance. And be sure to mark your calendars for the actual Powderhorn Shark Tank event on Saturday, May 19th from 2.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Powderhorn Park Recreation Center. See you there.